Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thank you, Steph. That's amazing. It's amazing. Friende in Pastor Steve at Sika Exhorters. That's just incredible. Um, it's so good to be with you all tonight. I usually am with you all on a Sunday if we're not shooting. I'm going to take this away because I am easily distracted and it's already hard enough to just try to remember what to say. Hi, guys. <laughs> a little bit like a squirrel. I look like one and I act like one. Um, what am I saying? Oh, I'm sharing on Hosea tonight. Okay. Um, we, Andres is um, um, my husband. He's amazing. But he calls it Yosea. So just to keep it fresh and to keep the street grid high, he says Yosea. And, um, and that's just for the ones that would laugh at that, which is Lauren. Um, <laughs> so I just quickly want to pray again. Thank you, Jesus, and help. Amen. Amen. Okay, cool. So for those of you who know me, I am Simona Pretorius, um, and I am an actress. I don't even have to introduce myself because Stefan already did, but I did write it down, so I need to say it. Um, I, love, I love church. I love this church. Um, it's really amazing to be part of a body and to, for someone like me who I was really isolated for most of my life, um, I am an introvert. It's not an excuse, but I'm also the only child. That's a little bit of an excuse. And, um, and I think I've had a bit of social anxiety for most of my life, bit of an excuse, not really legit. But to find yourself in a community that recklessly pursues community with you and who is not conditional in terms of relationship with you, um, that's really, really helped me so much. And I've grown so much in this body. Um, and I'm really, truly grateful for that. So if you are someone that struggles with community, I, I can tell you that you will grow the most in community. And the one part that might have hurt you is the one part that will heal you. And that is the body of Christ and believers. So that's just on this side. That has nothing to do with Yosea. Um, I'm an actress, and it's a lot of fun to be a storyteller and to put yourself in someone else's shoes. I'm also quite emotional, so I think God actually saved me through acting because um, now I get to channel everything that's in here into someone else, and so that also helps Andres. So I don't, um, I'm not an emotional mess all the time. Most of the time I am, but it's, he's cool. Um, I am Andres' wife, which is a big deal. It was a big dream of God in his heart for me to marry that man, and praise the Lord, he made it happen. So that's my beautiful Hosea right there. Um, so that's a dream. Marriage is good. Sex is fun. It's amazing. Lacquer. Okay. I don't have any filters. Um, but I messaged Lauren earlier this week. She was asking what I'm sharing on, and she, they just wanted to pray with me and pray for me and so on. And I thought it would be really funny if I told her that I'm sharing on sex. And um, I was, you know when you send someone a message and you're joking with them and you're kind of waiting for the response and then the response would be like, no, I'm kidding. And then there was no response. And so I sat and I looked at my phone. I know they're overseas, so I'm not sure if they're on the airport, like where they're at, but I'm waiting for the blue tick. The blue tick is not happening. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to leave it. I'm fine. I go do one of... You, 
I thought that was what was happening. But I'm busy with the scene. I'm coming back. I'm like, okay, two ticks. Two ticks. They've read it. Nothing is happening. 30 minutes later, I'm like, I'm just kidding. And Lauren replies with like, oh, okay, good, because Stefan didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> yeah, so... I'm not sharing on sex. But I did. I was with Annie in this week, and he said that he shared on sex like three weeks ago. So, guys, would have been you guys need to pray and ask the Lord about that. <laughs> All right. So, um, we stay in Linden. We've been married for six months. We don't have kids yet. I'm just saying because everyone asks usually. Um, and we um, are ministering. Like God is actually calling both of us into that. And we are going to welcome next week. I think that's the perks of the job also. Like people ask you to do motiveringsproikies. And then you just motivere them about Jesus. And then it actually becomes an awesome vehicle. But Andres is joining me. starting to join me in that. And that's really, really incredible. So we're very happy about that. Okay, let's jump in. So please um, open your Bibles at the book of Hosea, if you have your Bibles here. If you don't, God will judge you. That's fine. He won't judge you. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe you will. It's just, we'll find out one day. Okay. So Hosea 3. Everyone ready? Oh, I don't have slides because I am very ditzy and I forget things. And um, up until like half an hour, the things that I wanted to preach on changed. So um, I was, it's safer for you to not have slides. And, um, and it's good because I'm the person that's distracted and I start taking pictures of slides and stuff. Um, no, it's really just because I forgot. Anyway, Hosea redeems his wife. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Did I say it's Isaiah 3? Okay. Um, and the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Cakes of raisins is quite an interesting thing. I wonder what that was. Like, I love cakes, not with raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lithic, lithic, lithic. Someone did say that to me. I don't know how to say it still, of Bali. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without effort and all household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So, um, someone, uh, James, James jo- Joyce Boyce, now I forgot what his name was, it's somewhere here. I'm really bad with remembering things. Um, but he said that Hosea 3 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. He proclaimed that this chapter is the greatest one in the Bible. And um, it's fascinating because it seems very normal. It seems very like, okay, go do this, and the children of Israel will do this. And in the latter days, they will. It's very, it's like, it almost sounds like there's a rhythm to it, and we've heard it in other places. His eyes also full of it and so on. But there's something about this passage, if you really look closer to, obviously, the relationship between um, Hom- Gomer, not Homer, Gomer and Hosea, and obviously how it relates to God and Israel, and how it obviously relates to us, which is super fascinating. And when we dig into that, then I realize, okay, this really, this is one of the greatest chapters. Um, 
except Isaiah 61, which is my password for everything. That's amazing as well. Um, so don't use that, though, logging into my Facebook. Just a bit of background. So in my life, um, I, I, my background is I grew up in a broken home. Um, broken meaning my parents got divorced when I was four years old. And uh, my father moved to Cape Town. I stayed with my mom. And I experienced a lot of rejection as a child. I think I was also super sensitive because I am emotional. But really a lot of rejection from circumstances that just kind of took a hold of my heart, and a lot of strongholds of rejection started building. Um, and so uh, when I was 15 years old, I found out that my mother and my father weren't married when I was conceived, and that they uh, went for abortions, um, three abortions to be exact. And every time they went to an abortion clinic, something would have happened. So just my mom was in the Air Force, my father was in the military, so they come out of strict, strict homes, and they didn't want the scandal of obviously an unwed baby, and, um, and that's why they sought abortion clinics. First abortion clinic, they went to the, um, the clinic. The doctor wasn't there. There was a misunderstanding um, with the receptionist, and they made an appointment for the next week, Friday. Next week, Friday, when they went there, it was in Botswana, because in South Africa, it was still illegal. In Botswana, um, when they arrived, the clinic was closed the morning, um, and they arrived like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, because it was an, abortion, uh, an illegal abortion clinic, and South Africa put pressure on Botswana to stop the clinics. Um, that was the second time. And the third time, my mom was too far pregnant, and there were health risks, etc. So... God saved me before I got saved. I usually say that, but I'm bum. And, um, and then they put me up for adoption. And uh, as I, my mom went for therapy with a, with a social worker, and they started the process. And the day that she had to sign the papers, the documents for adoption, um, she went into shock trauma because she heard that she was losing her job, etc. And then um, she went into labor. And I just think it's because I'm a very impatient person and the Lord sometimes uses your weaknesses. So I was born a month too early. I was like, I am getting out of here. And when I was born, the doctor or the gynae, who was my mom's gynecologist, wasn't there. He was also overseas. Praise the Lord for plane tickets. And... Um, and another doctor helped, and he put me on my mother's chest when I was born. And he wasn't supposed to do that when you're an adoption baby. So I was on my mom's chest, and it's the skin to skin, and I'm obviously adorable. I was beautiful. <laughs> she couldn't look away, and she chose me. <laughs> and so she decided with that, with that interaction, she knew that she would lose everything else but that she would keep me. And that's the story of me staying with my mom. And uh, my parents did get married after that to kind of do the right thing, but they got divorced four years later. Um, just a side note, my mom became... Well, she had a disciplinary hearing with all of this stuff happening, and um, she became the first woman in the South African Air Force to keep her baby and her job. So um, that was really like God making history through my mother because she was obedient. So... Just listen to the Lord, it helps you. It'll help you keep your job. Anyway, 
And so that's, that's my history in a very short nutshell. But what happened after that is that I um, struggled connecting to my father. My father was at war, and he's also an introvert, and there was a lot of stuff. So I didn't have that emotional connection with my father. He's amazing, and we, our relationship has really been restored a lot. Um, but not growing up with that father figure and growing up with a single mom that's really super stressed and anxious a lot, I really struggled to understand the Lord as a father. I really struggled with Father God. I had a lot of anger and a lot of unforgiveness. And when I got born again at the age of 16, I gave my life to the Lord only when I tasted the love of God for the first time. So I was at this camp, and there was this big rope um, you know, tied from the one corner to the next corner in this room. And everyone was worshiping, and they gave us smaller ropes, and they said, tie your little rope to the bigger rope because you can, your life can only be full if you abide in Jesus and if you tie your life to his life. And all of my friends were like hoppling and jumping and tying their knots, and they left the room, and I sat with mine in my hand, and I could not do it. I was so mad at the Lord. And the great thing about God is he's really not intimidated by your emotions. And he's really not intimidated by even your rebellion or your hurt because luckily he sees what man cannot see. And, um, and in that wrestling, I cried out to the Lord. And the Lord knew that the only way to freedom for me, well, for everyone, but in that moment for me was to have a taste of his tangible love, the power of God filling me up from the bottom of my head to the, to the tip of my toes. And I fell to my knees and I started sobbing because I had this experiential encounter with the love of God and nothing would be the same after that. I was marked with love. I was marked with purpose. And all the questions in my life about, Lord, do I have purpose? What are you planning? I'm so depressed. I'm so suicidal because I feel like I was a mistake. And God's like, you are not a mistake. I planned you. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with my desire for your life. And um, that encounter obviously changed the course of my life. I forgave my parents, and it's obviously been 11 years of walking with the Lord in that regard and walking into healing and walking into into more freedom. Um, And so after that many years, I think I've come to know God as as a shepherd, and I've come to know the Lord as savior and as um, companion and even as sibling, because I don't have siblings, and Jesus was my friend when I was young, Um, and obviously as Father God. And the healing that came from that big revelation was incredible, and it's been years, and it is continuous, um, the revelation of Father God, because it's, as, as it says in the Word, that Um, The angels go around him, and every time they go around, there's more things to him that they realize. And so we can never actually become stagnant in our relationship with the Lord because there will always be more. There will always be more to know. There will always be more that we see, and there will always be more for us to to step into more freedom. Um, And so this year, a few things changed, however, for me. Because on the 23rd of February... I stepped into a covenant with my beautiful husband, and um, and I noticed something different with regards to my relationship with the Lord, and it was almost like new things were surfacing, but they were old stuff, but the only problem was that 
now that I'm in, in covenant with Andres, there was a new aspect to my relationship with the Lord that I realized, and it's covenant, obviously. And you know Jesus as bridegroom, and we've read the parables, and we understand, you know, he's coming for a bride. But once you are in that position and you realize that as shame surfaces in my relationship, it doesn't go unnoticed anymore because someone is here the whole time and my life is no longer hidden. Like, everything is seen. That's the thing about marriage is that nothing is hidden. But the thing about shame is it loves to hide. And so God brings the revelation of covenant as the way that he loves to relate to us because he doesn't want things to remain unseen. And, and that was a big thing for me in, in marriage, in, in this this new chapter in my life and in my year. And I remember saying to Andres earlier this year that um, the Lord showed me, I've always sought healing from a very desperate place from the Lord. I've always sought healing um, because of feelings of rejection and depression. And that was why I was very um, uh, dependent on the Lord. My dependency came from outer circumstances, almost like driving me to seek help from him and seek healing from him, emotional healing and and freedom. But there was something different this year because nothing was happening. Like there was nothing from the outside driving me to him. It was love that was the driving force behind shame surfacing. And I felt the Lord say that the healing from now on will come from a place of being so rooted in my love that my perfect love will cast out the fear. The fear will surface because my love is coming after it, because nothing can remain hidden in this covenant any longer. And I feel like that's something God is doing with the church as well at the moment, is that there's deeper revelations of love. And yes, the outer, outer pressure is also, this a drick, drick, what do you call it? It's pressure cooker, that's the word. Um, there's a pressure cooker, but there's the Lord saying, the only way that you will come out of this is by deeper revelation of my love. Like there's no more punishment. Punishment cannot transform you. Manipulation cannot transform you. The law cannot transform you. Some sort of, like discipline can transform you, but only if it's driven by love. And so there's a fresh, fresh, fresh revelation. Like there's a fresh stream of water flowing into us as we get to taste more of his, his love. And it's been something that, you know, love is love, and we get tired of it, and sometimes it becomes this, okay, it's, yes, God loves me, but God likes you as well. In a marriage, you marry someone not just because you love him, like you enjoy that person, and there's a playfulness in your relationship, and there's a deep trust, and it's more than just like the fu- fluffy word of love. There's a liking, and there's a delighting, and I love that the Lord has show like he's showing himself as a bridegroom and even more so in my life currently but so many places in the word where he reveals himself as a bridegroom and one of the most st- like powerful images we can obviously see in the book of Hosea and so Okay, so Hosea, this is like a quick summary of what happens in Hosea. A lot of you are like looking at the, there are no slides. <laughs> okay, you have to make, you have to get used to it. No, 
I'm just kidding. You are, I'm you in the moment, okay? <laughs> so, Hosea. A quick summary of what happens in Hosea. Um, God tells Hosea to marry Goma, a prostitute. We know that, okay? Um, they have three kids whom Hosea is told by God to call. The first one is um, named Jezreel, meaning discipline. Um, the second child was a girl, and her name was No Mercy, does sound like the band. I'm sorry I laugh at it the whole time. It's so funny for me because it's just like Jezreel is, is still very merciful. Like you call your kid Jezreel and then people are like, oh, what's the meaning? And then the meaning is, oh, it's called discipline. Okay. But then no mercy is no mercy. There's not no hidden meaning. It's like you can go to someone and say, oh, but what does no mercy mean? It means no mercy. That's very harsh on your kid. But that's not the worst. Like the third one is not mine. That was the name of the third child. It's really bad. Shame. Um, so you go and, and the neighbor asks, what are your kids' names? And you're like, oh, that's Jay's real No Mercy. No Mercy sounds a bit French. So they're like, oh, okay, probably heard wrong. And then the third one, you're like, okay, so, and not mine. <laughs> this is not mine. Okay, that's really, that's really bad. And um, so obviously the child was not his, but a boom. That's quite obvious. Um, and Go- Goma was obviously unfaithful in the marriage. And because of this, I presume, and because Hosea called the children such bad names, Goma runs away. <laughs> I also would have run away um, from kids like that. And um, so Goma was unfaithful in the marriage. She runs away off to other lovers. And presumably, let's say she ran back to her pimp. Right, because she was with a lot of other men, and the ones who actually, or the one who was the father of some of the other, we don't even know that, but we presume that in that time she went back to her pimp. Um, Hosea is incredibly hurt and angered in the same way that God obviously was angered um, uh, with Israel, and we see this in chapter 2, so that precedes this part. Um, It's very short. Um, And what I love about this is that I think this is also an indication of the way that God relates to us in marriage because it's not just, oh, you are unfaithful, you must be punished. You really can see a heart-wrenching anger and a heart-wrenching hurt by God. And it's a verse like... um, Verse 2, verse 13 says, I will punish her for the feast days of the bowls when she burnt offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, says the Lord. I mean, you don't just say, you have forgotten me if, if it's just someone you don't really care about. The fact that God wanted to be remembered by Israel says that there really is a very affectionate place for, for Israel in his heart for us. And then the next verse, God's like, but behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And then he goes on and he says, I'll betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So it's this the seesaw of emotion that God shows us regarding his marriage to Israel and his covenant to us as his people, and it's just it's that's really like a core part of Hosea. Um, okay, what happens next is that God tells Hosea to take his wife back 
after she ran away. And this means that Hosea um, has to go bid for her because Gomer somehow found herself up for slavery. Like she was in a place and she was sold as a slave. Now, as a sex worker, you are not necessarily sold into slavery only when your worth has gone down as a prostitute. So this means that Gomer was probably either too old or too used or whatever, and this pimp decided that it's time for her to be sold as a slave. She's no longer even useful for me as a prostitute. That is like the lowest of low I can imagine. And um, so now Hosea has to buy back the woman that already belongs to him, that carries his surname, and, um, and this James Boyce that I spoke about that said this is the greatest chapter, in one of his commentaries, um, he, he writes the following. Um, we know quite a bit about the selling of slaves because much has been written about it. For example, the slaves were always sold naked. Thus was Gomer put up for sale. Her clothes were removed and the men of the city were there to see her nakedness and bid for her. I imagine her eyes must have been closed as she tried to unsee the humiliation. And then Hosea arrives. One man started the bidding. Twelve pieces of silver. Thirteen, said Hosea. Fourteen pieces of silver. Hosea's bid was fifteen. The low bidders were beginning to drop out, but one man continued bidding. Fifteen pieces of silver and a bushel of barley. Hosea said, Fifteen pieces of silver and a bushel and a half of barley. The auctioneer looked around and seeing no more bids said, sold to Hosea for 15 pieces of silver and a bushel and a half of barley. Does God love like that? Yes, God loves like that. We are Goma. We are the slaves sold on the auction block of sin. The world bids for us. The world bids fame, wealth, prestige, influence, power, all those things that are the world's currency. And... um, When all seemed lost, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, into the marketplace to buy us at the cost of his life. If you can understand it as an illustration, God was the auctioneer. He said, what am I to bid for these poor, hopeless, enslaved sinners? And Jesus said, I bid the price of blood. The father said, sold to the Lord Jesus Christ for the price of his blood. And there is no greater bid than that. And so after um, Hosea buys Goma back, um, he tells her that she will be separated or that she will stop with the <laughs> whoring around and, um, and that even he will not go into her, that they will not make love either. And that for t- a certain period of time, there will be no sexual activity between them and she's just going to be at the house. Um, and in the same way, that's what God was prophesying over Israel and taking Israel into the wilderness to, in a sense, take them back from idols and take them back from the things that kept their heart preoccupied or even the things that the shame, their shame made them run after. And um, we don't know much after that. I didn't research it enough is what I'm actually saying. But I do know that um, Goma, after that, Goma started resting in a place of love, and she really became a wife to Hosea. And I think that's what really gets me about the book of Hosea, is that there's no other thing that can transform us. There's no other thing that can make you get to this place of rest um, than the love of God. And there's no striving for it. Like, Goma couldn't even try to buy 
um, Hosea's love through sex because he took that away from her as well. And he said, until you know that you were bought at a price, you will always try to strive or you will always try to run away. There's always something that you will do. But until you know and you start resting, then we can start this covenant of love where it's at mutual, there's a transaction happening. It's not just, I am king and you are slave. This is like, I am husband, you are wife, and we are a team. And that's the vehicle that God wants to use for us in the earth, is that it's not, for, it is father, son. It is king, and, and we are his servants. And yes, it is shepherd, and we are the flock. But the thing that he uses the most, literally, the book, the last chapter in the Bible says, um, the spirit and the bride say come. Not the spirit and the church, the spirit. I mean, it is a metaphor for it. But he uses the word bride. Jesus is coming for a spotless bride, a pure bride, a lover, a reckless lover, so in love with his heart, not doing things out of duty, but because of love. And if we can become so motivated by love, we will be the the freest people on this earth, on this planet, and people will want what we have. So how are we like Goma? And I'm I'm so humbled because I really felt like the Lord wanted to sort out shame tonight. I really felt him touch on this topic. And it's so difficult for me to share this because I am marked by shame. I've been marked by shame my entire life. I will always pull back and I will always draw back because I always feel like I do not do enough. I do not perform enough. I do not bring enough to the table. Even with the sermon this week, I had this crazy attack and um, I went home to Andres and I said to him, I literally felt suicidal today and I do not know what's going on. And he said to me, but it's an attack. And I said, I know, but I feel so disqualified and I feel so like, oh, what, like we weren't even at church for the past five weeks because I was shooting hotel and why am I, why did they even ask me? And he's like, you know, it's an attack. I'm like, I just, oh yes, wait, what? So, so at the core of that, the Lord was saying, you are still agreeing with shame. You are still agreeing with the lies of the enemy. You are still agreeing with the bidding, the things that people are bidding you for, the lies that the enemy is screaming at you from. Okay, you are 10 shekels worth. You are this worth. And Jesus paid me, and I'm still like putting myself on the slave market. And he's like, it's time for you to declare my righteousness and my blood over you because I bought you with my blood, not your blood, not the church's, your, my blood. My blood supersedes every weakness, every sin, every tekortkominge. When you walk out of the door on a Monday and you feel like, okay, say so there's a, a one to ten, and you feel like, Jesus, I feel like a nine today. He's like, great, you know what? I will bring the one. I'm the extra one. Cool, I, filled, I fill you up, and I'm that one. The next day, you walk out, you feel like a five. He's like, you know, I'm the five. I'm the extra five. I fill you up. My glory fills whatever is missing, okay? I walk out Tuesday. I was a one. I was like a minus five. He's like, I am the extra. <laughs> Jesus is the mathematician as well. But the point I'm trying to make is that he fills all in all. How arrogant of us to say that my sin supersedes his love. How arrogant of me to say that my shame is bigger than his power, is bigger than his qualification, is bigger than his blood, is bigger than his righteousness. 
And so shame does that. Shame isolates. Shame lies. Shame um, will make you go either into rebellion where you do not admit it and you try to hide it. Um, or it will just make you draw back completely where you do not show up and you become passive and it's just another church service and it's just more Bible reading and it's just, okay, I have to pray. And as soon as we stop doing it out of duty and we just realize the heart of God, it will be love that compels us. And um, so I think a little, like a little thing that stood out for me from Isaiah is that Isaiah was the last of the ten prophets that God sent to the tribes of Israel. Um, and before that, it was Amos. And Amos's um, prophecies were quite like there was a lot of warning in it. And there was a lot of, um, there was punishment. And there was like, you are doing this and it's not cool and there's justice. And then comes Isaiah and he finishes it off in this last appeal of love. A last appeal that is compassionate and it's filled with mercy and it's full of affection and he's just wooing us back into love. And, um, and I think that's God's appeal in, in this day and age. That was his last appeal with Jesus on the cross was affection. It was, it was mercy and it's compassion. And we, I, I read Hosea and I'm like, oh my word, Goma, just get it together, girl. You are just, man, that is embarrassing. This is like Hosea is obviously, he's the Euro of Hosea. And um, did I say that right? Hosea is the Euro of Hosea. <laughs> yes, Jesus knows. Um, and then the Lord showed me that the reason why he has compassion on Israel and the reason why he said Goma had to buy back his wife was because he had compassion on Goma as a prostitute. And I think we miss that. It's like the prostitute, oh, this judgment office, that's, that's really bad. Shame, she's a prostitute. No, the Lord looks at her and he knows that if she knew who she was and if she knew her worth, she would not be a prostitute. And because if you are a prostitute, if you end up in the sex slavery business, then you must really think very little of yourself to sell your body in such a way. And God had compassion on that. Unless you are sold into it, but we know that that isn't Goma's thing. Goma literally ran back to it because that is how little she thought of herself. That's how little she thought her life was worth. And so God in his compassion and in his mercy, looks at us, and he knows that if they knew who they were, if they knew whose they were, if they knew the price that I would put on them, they would not do it. And I think that's Jesus' plea on the cross as well, giving us the benefit of the doubt in our shame, saying that, Lord, forgive them, Father, forgive them, because if they knew what they were doing, if they knew I was the Son of God, if they knew the life that was available for them, they would not do it. If Goma knew she was worthy, she would not run back to prostitution. And so God is going after this thing of shame that's continuing to tell us, you are not worthy. And I love that earlier we sang, and Almiri, you're so filled with the Spirit. You really hear God's voice. I really want to honor you for that because you were so spot on. Because God was talking to me about shame and guilt. And shame is an inherent feeling that you are wrong, that something is wrong with you. And guilt is 
shame over what you over behavior. That's specifically behavior driven, but shame is identity driven. And and Gomez unfaithfulness was rooted in an identity of feeling like she's inadequate, of feeling worthless. And um and so I've lost it. I knew it was gonna happen. Yes, I was thankful for you hearing that. But that's the thing of shame is that it's, it's identity-based. And so either your shame can, um, can dictate your behavior or we bring it into this covenant of love, which is the safest place that you can ever bring your shame because no other place in this world will make your shame, will, will be safe for you to admit it, right? It's only in covenant with Jesus, that we are invited to confess our shame where we are not condemned for it and where there's life, life-giving exchange for you to walk out of it in freedom. But nowhere else will you be able to say these things and admit that you feel ashamed other than in marriage. Earlier today, me and Andres, we sat and, and we were talking about shame and I asked him, what is, what is his shame? Like, what is the thing that he feels the most ashamed about? And do we still talk about this? Do we? Like, I don't. I don't tell people what I'm ashamed of inherently. And this conversation, I'm not going to tell you because it's not safe. <laughs> but what followed was that this, this safe place in our marriage where I knew that I'm fully seen and I'm still loved and what happens in, in covenant with Jesus is you are fully seen and truly loved. I mean, Andres' love is still, sorry, falls a bit short some, not, not all the time. But he's human. But Jesus isn't. Jesus' love sees you and truly loves you fully. It covers everything. And so we have given the Lord our yes and... Um, Along the way, you know, shame still ministers to us. I gave the Lord my yes 11 years ago. And this year, this year, like so many things started surfacing. Where I realized I am so many times, I'm like my un, un, dis, unqualification, like the way I disqualify myself dictates my behavior. The Lord is no, he's just saying no longer, not anymore, not in this covenant. It's not okay. Um, if the band can start ushering us into the Lord's presence for freedom. <laughs> I just know that, that we are entering a season where the small things that we are okay with, he's making it surface because he's not okay with it because it's keeping us from the fullness of identity as a bride, a bride that is reckless in her pursuit of his heart, a bride that no longer holds back because of fear of man, because of man's approval, and it manifests itself in the way that we pour ourselves out before him. Like, is there a restraint in your relationship with the Lord? Do you sometimes still feel passive? And do you sometimes still feel like there's this blockage, like you are not doing enough, like you are not qualified enough, like you are still unworthy? I want to tell you that that is the voice of shame, and that is the, the voice of the accuser. And the word says that the accuser... He's he's the father of lies. So anything you believe that does not come from the heart of God is a lie. And it's time for us to take authority over it. 
Because there's a place where we can thank you for that, yes. <laughs> there's a place where we just, we just live with it, like I have for a very long time. I'm like, I, I feel unworthy, and I just feel like, you know, this is, this is, this, I'm feeling passive, and I'm just okay with, with being in this place with the Lord. And, and then something happens, and God starts saying to me, this is what you've been feeling because you've been believing the lie of shame. You've been, you've been agreeing with it. And I saw this picture of, um, of Jesus with the fig tree, and I know any, any touched on it a few weeks ago. But the picture that I got from it was Jesus went to the tree, and it had no fruit, and he cursed the tree, and then they went somewhere, and then they came back. And when they came back, there was nothing, like the leaves were withered. And I was always like, Lord, what does it mean? That's really mean. How does the tree feel? Um, and, and I just felt the Lord say that just as Proverbs said, there's life, the power of, of the, there's life or death in the power of the tongue. In that way, whatever we curse will be cursed, but whatever we speak life over, like life will happen. And I think that was what Jesus wanted to show as well. Like w- the power of our words can cause us to either wither away, the things that we agree with can make us wither away, or it can push us into abundant life where we agree with what Jesus says over us. So I just feel like tonight, um, like the Lord wants to go after a lot of lies, a lot of the things that make you run back into slavery, a lot of things that make you run back into prostitution where you sell your body, you sell your soul, you sell your time, your resources to feed desires of your heart that isn't from Him or that can only be filled in Him. I really, like, if we really start seeing ourselves as Gomer then we will see the Lord's compassion for us. And you'll start seeing the Lord's love for you. Like He does not condemn you. He wants to love that out of you. And the real thing that happened that made Goma change, obviously, was when there was a price put on her. When she saw that her life is worth something and that even the one that created us. We already belonged to Him. We said yes to Him. We betrothed ourselves to Him. But when we see the price tag and we see the blood that was shed, then that invites us to stop the running, to stop the hiding, to really, to really stay in that place of relationship with Him. And so if you and I cannot bear fruit apart from relationship with the Lord then it's time to return to the vine. It's really time to to stop striving and stop trying to bear fruit. That's not going to happen. And I do think that there's a reason why the Lord says, um, abide in me and and see me, because we will reproduce what we see. But if we see the things of the world and we don't see Him, we won't be able to bear fruit. If you are impatient... I can promise you it's probably because you don't know the heart of the Father that is patient with you. If you lack joy, it's probably because there's something in you that's been telling you that God is not joyful over your life. If you struggle with depression and hopelessness, I can promise you, like, the Lord wants to renew that part in your mind and wants to tell you that there's hope that He has for you, hope and a future, that He has a plan for your life. But if we stay stuck with the lies... 
It's going to dictate our behavior. It's going to keep us running. And there's just an activation that needs to happen where we repent of what we've been believing. And we just start declaring, Lord, I believe what you say. I believe I am a pure bride. I believe that you've, you've paid a price for my life. And that is what I will stand on. When the attacks come, this is what I will stand on. And so what happened on Tuesday night is Andre said to me, it's an attack. And I was like, yes, it's an attack. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, I still, I still feel very burdened and heavy and unworthy and so on. And we went to bed and Andres prayed for me. And I was like, yes, Jesus, amen, cool, cool, cool. And the Lord said to me, you say it now. You say the words. Because the power of God comes with the word became flesh. Like there's something that happens as soon as we speak the words of God. We can think the words of God, but when we speak it, the spirit follows and the power of God falls. And so I just, I just felt at that moment like my heart was burdened. My heart felt condemned. My mind was really not renewed. But when I spoke it, even though I didn't feel it and I, I almost didn't believe it, but I spoke it and everything submitted under what I spoke. So at that moment, I said, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, I am made righteous. It's not by my works. It's not by my striving. It's not by my unworthiness. I am unworthy, but Jesus is worthy, and I will go with him. I will follow him. I will no longer listen to you because you are wasting my time, but Jesus, but Jesus. And as soon as I took that authority and I spoke the words, the Spirit followed, and I just felt delivered. So they are practical ways of walking out of shame. And I just feel like that is what, that's what we, we might not want to feel like doing tonight. I know that it's a Sunday evening. I'm usually the person that runs out the quickest because I am uncomfortable with small talk a lot of the time. But, and stuff and stuff. But there's a holy moment and there's an appointment tonight. And there's an authority. God made a decree that tonight we will walk out in freedom. And we'll walk into this week the most pure, the most free people group on this planet. So if we can please stand. really, I feel like some of us, you really struggle to see Jesus as your bridegroom. And it might be that, you know, you grew up in a house where you had no example of marriage. And you, you either saw an abusive relationship, or you saw a passive marriage, or you saw manipulation. Or you just saw brokenness in general. But the thing is that people are always going to disappoint us. But Jesus came to fill that. And Jesus' first miracle in John, is it John 2? I just want to read that for you before we go into ministry. But it says here, John 2. Um, there was 
On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever it tells you. I love that about his mother. Um, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now became wine. This is now fast forward a bit. And did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I think it's really significant that Jesus' first public mir- well, first miracle was that he turned water into wine because that was the job of the bridegroom. The bridegroom's job was to supply the wine. So the wine ran short. The bridegroom, the earthly bridegroom's wine fell short. Your bridegroom, your husband will fall short. Your wife will fall short. The marriage you saw as a child will fall short. But Jesus will not fall short. Jesus will not disappoint. Jesus took the wine and the water and he turned it into wine because he wanted to establish himself as the ultimate bridegroom of our hearts. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.